Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 30th of October 2020. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Party Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, Senators challenge bank bosses on bail-in and wrecking economy. Christine and the Cartier Watchers, what's the real story? Lisa, we have a, a, a packed show today because we're going to play a bunch of video clips from Senate estimates. But I do want people to see this is a sort of these are the sort of exchanges that you don't get in the nightly news when Senate estimates is on. Mainly for the tone, There's the, the, the questions were good, but the tone where two senators in particular, Malcolm Roberts and Jerry Rennick, challenge the, the, the financial powers that be, right? So we want to go through those. That's going to take a bit of a while. But before we begin, I just have an announcement. Um, we've put up on our YouTube channel as part of our Citizens Insights series an interview with a British Australian who lives in China named Jerry Gray and it's about what's happening to the Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang that people might have heard are locked in there's a million of them in concentration camps uh, the, the victims of genocide and, and, and slave labor and stuff like that um, this week there's been a bunch of murders in France Islam, Islam, Islamist terror attacks multiple beheadings in France Right, and when you when you, you hear about that on the news, and what most people don't know um, about China is that's what preceded China's policy in Xinjiang, right? A much bigger terrorist wave than in France, much much bigger, massive, 800 people murdered in a decade. So Jerry's there. Jerry is a, was a cop in Britain. He was a private security guard in Australia. He knows how security works, and he gives an eyewitness account of what he sees. And I'll I'll, I'll spoiler it for you. What he saw was not genocide, right? Watch it for yourself, please. This is we go to great lengths to find evidence to back up the claims people were told. So um, I just want to do a plug for that. That's on our show, on our YouTube channel. Right. So on to our first topic: uh, senators challenge bank bosses on bail-in, wrecking economy. Now we have one month to ensure that Senator Malcolm Roberts' bill to stop bail-in of deposits passes the Senate. So I hope everyone's already been uh, emailing or calling their senators. If you haven't, now's the time to do it. Other, organise other people to do it as well. Um, got, everyone has 12 senators in their state. Call them all and call them repeatedly in the next month. We have a month to get this bill passed. This bill settles bail-in beyond all doubt. That's right. So it amends... Uh, the loophole which would allow the potential for deposits to be taken as well as other forms of investments in the bank, hybrid securities and so forth. So uh, this week in Senate Estimates, Senator Malcolm Roberts raised this with Wayne Byers, the head of APRA. And he's asked this series of questions, right? So have a look at the, have a look at the questions, we'll, we'll comment a little bit later. But the, the main one is the last one, but Malcolm leads up to it and essentially um, I'll just say one thing about APRA's response. At the very end, Wayne Byers cannot name a downside oh. to passing the bill. That's very important. That's what you've got to tell members of parliament. All there is is upside. He just says it's unnecessary, but have a look. The IMF have stated that the catch-all directions powers in the 2018 Act provide APRA with the flexibility to make directions to the authorised deposit-taking institutions that contravene the Banking Act. If the IMF are correct, you do have bail-in powers. Is the IMF wrong? 
So the bail-in powers that we have uh, relate to capital instruments. Uh, as again, as we put in our submissions to the um, to the uh, this committee when it conducted its inquiry into that bill, the objective is very clearly to have bail-in for subordinate capital instruments. Uh, and the purpose of the Act, and in particular the sections of that Act which attracted a lot of attention, were designed to make sure that there was legal certainty and that those subordinated debt and hybrid instruments, the bail-in arrangements which are in those, uh, the contractual arrangements that are in those instruments would work as intended. So our bill simply clarifies that you do not have bail-in powers, which is what you're telling me here today. Why are you opposing our bill when it does oh, nothing sorry. more than to clear up what the law is saying you say it is? Sorry, Senator. We do have bail-in powers. They relate to certain specific instruments. Uh, as the law currently applies to banks, it applies to their uh, subordinated debt, or is in the jargon of a bank supervisor, tier two capital, and it applies to uh, hybrid capital instruments or additional tier one capital. So we do have a bail-in power. It is designed to give legal certainty to the bail-in of those instruments if needed. It does not apply to deposits. Um, my, my, our bill simply clarifies that it doesn't apply to deposits. So why would you oppose it? It doesn't stop the bail-in of, of uh, other, other funds appropriately, but uh, it does stop the, it would stop the bail-in of deposit funds. Check, check accounts. Savings accounts, small business accounts, private accounts. That's all it does. So it's agreeing with you. So Why the view you we put it? Well the view we put in the submissions was that it was not necessary because we thought the current law was adequate. It does not it doesn't change anything for you. It it complies with what you just stated. So I can't understand why you'd oppose it. It makes two minor changes that are in line well, with what you're saying. As we said in our submissions, we didn't think it was necessary. Okay. Elisa, well, a few minutes after Malcolm asked these questions, he appeared on a live YouTube show with myself and Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics. I encourage people to watch that. It's called The Fight Against Depositor Bail-In, where we're basically giving people the instructions they need on what to do in the next month, right? But Malcolm made a very important point in the show. He, he, as an insider in Parliament, he saw how successful we were in the cash ban because a lot of people made a lot of calls. And it worked to shift them then, and he said it can happen again. That's the most important thing, so make those calls. We want to play another clip now, which is um, Malcolm Roberts also to APRA talking about an issue of debanking that we've talked about on this show in the last few weeks, and he raises the cases that we've been looking at. So um, have a look at this. Moving on to the practice known as debanking, is the regulation of debanking practiced by the banks your responsibility? Um. I don't know if I can talk about a regulation for debanking. The concern is that various customers no longer get banking services. Uh, it's not a particular, it's certainly not a primary issue for APRA. We understand the issue exists. Uh, in many cases, it relates to banks being able to comply with any money laundering and counter-terrorist financing uh, regulations. Well, that's, that's where I'd go to. Commander Security is an Australian cash security company. They transit cash and a large part of that is ref refilling third-party ATMs, so they are competitors to the banking cartel. Commander Security are fully Austrac compliant and operate their accounts lawfully. 
On the 14th of October 2020, they received a notice from Westpac cancelling Commander Security's banking accounts effective from 26th of October. They have been refused accounts at other banks. Where is the protecting, where is the protecting of interests of depositors in this process? Uh, well, uh, uh, the depositors of the banks themselves are protected. I'm not aware of the specific case that you're referring to, uh, Senator, so we're happy to look at that. Well, let's look at another one then. Mel Melbourne Bullion Exchange sell gold bullion to retail investors. They are also Austrac compliant and operate legally. They were debanked by Westpac, then the Commonwealth, then the NAB, and now cannot get an account anywhere. Would you categorise bullion as a rival store of wealth to cash in a bank? Uh, no, I wouldn't actually. I think uh, cash in a bank is a very stable value and bullion uh, does not. But that's a that's a discussion about investment rather than safety. Bullion's not stable? Um, okay. The point of this question is simple. Banks are debanking businesses that they have decided are an unacceptable risk. When my office looks at these businesses, they are bullion dealers, non-bank companies providing rival services to the banks like Commander Security, Bitcoin exchanges. APRA appear to be turning a blind eye to Australian banks debanking their rivals. Can you explain that? Uh, I don't think we're turning a blind eye to it. We, we understand the issues there, but banks are making decisions based on their risk profile as to whether they want to uh, take on the risk associated with some of these customers. Clearly, what we have seen in, in recent times is the penalties for getting it, for getting it wrong are significant. Uh, that's not to condone the banks, but simply to make the point that they are taking it very seriously. Senator Roberts, I, I need to wrap you yep. up. One last question. Yep. When the Melbourne Bullion Company was debanked, Westpac not only debanked the business accounts, but also the private accounts of the owners and the private accounts of their employees. APRA is responsible for protecting the financial interests of depositors. Does APRA consider this acceptable behaviour? So our obligation to, just to be clear, our obligation to depositors is not a consumer protection obligation. It's a making sure that people get 100 cents in their dollar. I think uh, you're responsible also for making sure that there's adequate competition. Uh, we have to be mindful for competition, but we don't have a mandate to uh, promote or establish competition. Uh, we have to deliver safety and soundness um, having regard to a range of other factors, competition, efficiency, ability and competitive neutrality, but uh, we're not a primarily a competition regulator. So although APRA is sort of washing its hands of it all, but at least they agreed to look at it, right, which has made Paul Thomas, the, one of the cases, uh, very happy, and it's important it gets raised in Parliament. The banks take notice of that, right? But we have to fight. That's a policy we've got to fight. Just quickly, Elisa, there's a, the ATM Industry Association has a petition on change.org where they're asking the, the government to, to mandate that businesses at least below $10,000 must accept cash if the customer wants. That's called, you can look it up on change.org, it's called Save Cash, Our Right to Access and Use Cash Must Be Protected by Law. Right? And I urge people to sign that. Yep. Now, after the break, we're going to look at another senator who took on the RBA. Welcome back to the Citizens Report, where we're discussing a number of senators taking on the bank bosses in Parliament this week. Now, Elise, we, we want to play another clip now. This is Senator Jared Rennick, who's from the LNP, Queensland LNP Senator. 
and he's asking questions to the RBA. And as I said earlier, the, probably more important than the questions is his tone because the RBA is like a high priesthood of finance and the, most politicians kiss their butts and I'm not exaggerating, they do, right? They, they think that they are, they're the gods who know everything. Jared changed the tone. They're not used to what they, he served up and mainly though, he then hit them really hard. He asked a few leading questions, but then he hit them really hard on their handling of the economy. And I just want to watch the whole performance because what Jared's raising there is very, very important in, in terms of what's happening right now. And the RBA is trying to hold the RBA to account, but get people to think about the economy differently. Next question. Since the RBA has become independent, you've lowered interest rates to zero. Uh, that has inflated house prices in some in our major capitals to 13 times earnings. It's destroyed retiree incomes. We've got the second highest household debt in the world, and we've allowed foreigners to come in and buy a lot of our infrastructure. Do you think the RBA has done a good job of managing mon monetary policy since you've become independent? So, Senator, our objective is to maintain full employment for the Australian population and to ensure a low and stable rate of inflation. That is our, that is our, you know, our stated objectives the full in, in the Reserve Bank Act. And I would say on those prior to the pandemic, uh, which has obviously severely disrupted the economy, I would say that we, we have were close to full employment at the beginning of this year and we had inflation only marginally away from... OK, uh, so inflation, house prices have risen by 7% on average for the last 30 years. Uh, well, is there any reason why you don't include existing dwellings in, in the inflation figure? Uh, because if you were to do that, you would never have been able to lower interest rates as low as you have. So, Senator, we have a number of objectives, which includes full employment. I would put it to you that if we had higher interest rates, we would have had lower employment over that period of time, which is something which directly affects the welfare of the Australian people. So we don't. We, we also don't... Uh, the Australian Bureau of Statistics is the one who compiles the consumer price index, not us. Um, we don't compile the index that we target. They don't include that in there. They include a measure of the cost of building a house, but they don't include health prices. Okay, so, so we, we've lowered interest rates to 0.25% now. We, we, we've run out of petrol in the tank. There's nowhere to go. We can't continue to, you know, lower interest rates, inflate uh, asset prices, you know, keeping our youth out of houses. Okay, so... There's another measure that was mentioned in the 1937 Banking Royal Commission that said the central bank, it was a recommendation, should control the volume of credit in the system. Now, had you controlled the volume in the credit, uh, volume of credit in the system rather than letting foreign banks come in here and you know, lend trillions of dollars to private investors, we could have built a lot of infrastructure instead of invest, over-investing into housing. Uh, I notice you now are going to go to quantitative easing um, one of the things you've done is open up a term funding facility of up to $200 billion to buy mortgage bonds from banks. The question I've got, if you're, why are you uh, lending to private banks when Section 27 of the 1959 RBA Act says you're meant to be banker to the government uh, and Section 26C says subject to this Act, uh, you shall not carry on business otherwise than as a central bank. So shouldn't you be just lending to the government rather than private banks? And shouldn't the banks themselves be looking after them, uh, their own concerns? Because really, that's a, a form of rent seeking. Uh, uh, we are still the banker for the government, uh, as you are a senator. We do. Uh, the government has around about uh, eighty billion dollars on deposit with us at the moment. Uh, so we still absolutely are the banker. We 
have been and continue to be the banker for the government. We provide funding for the banking system to try and achieve those objectives that I was just talking about earlier, which is we're in the middle of a large recession in the country at the moment. We are doing our best to try and get the support the government and trying to get the economy back to full employment. This mechanism of lowering funding costs, keeping interest rates low across the economy is, uh, is trying to support lending to businesses and to households. We that business that lending to businesses and households goes through the banking sector. That's you know, they are the provider of the credit to business and household. And we are trying to assist that process by lowering the funding costs of the banking system so that they in turn can lower the funding costs to businesses and households, which is indeed happening. Okay. Uh, thank you. I'll just I'll just finish with one statement more than a question, really. If, if I was to uh, uh, end up on a desert island, would I go to a bank or would I go and, and look to control the means of production? And, you know, the problem with monetary policy is that we've always focused on the markets and we haven't have, haven't actually used our credit to build enough infrastructure. And we've now got a situation where we've got foreign-owned sovereign wealth funds coming in and buying our uh, infrastructure rather than an Australian-owned sovereign wealth fund building infrastructure. Because if we're going to get out of COVID, we've got to build infrastructure. You can shuffle paper in the financial markets all you want, but that is not going to get us out of COVID. The only thing that is going to get us out of COVID is by building infrastructure and making sure that it's actually Australian-owned and we need to stop foreign sovereign wealth funds and other foreign investors coming in here and uh, preventing Australians from controlling their own means of production. Thank you. So, Robbie, the answer to Senator Rennick's challenge is really an infrastructure bank, right? No, exactly. And his, Senator Rennick's called for a national infrastructure bank. A bunch of parliamentarians have called for it. It's a big push right around the world. Uh, we'll talk about that next, next thing. But this is very important. And it's going to, you know, that if, if the RBA keeps getting challenged like that by members of parliament, we're going to see some changes. Yeah, so we'll be right back to discuss that in the context of Christine Holgate and the Cartier Watchers. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. We're now discussing Christine and the Cartier Watchers. What's the real story? So people probably heard about this so-called scandal in the news about the head of Australia Post purchasing watches to the value of $20,000 total for several chief executives. But there is another side to this story, which is rather interesting. Well, before you tell that, Lisa, the reason we, we, we suspected there might be was just the way the Prime Minister carried on like a headless chook in Parliament over this. This is a Prime Minister who has looked the other way at every banking crime ever committed this is the, he was acting like he discovered a pedophile ring in Australia Post. And I'm thinking, what the hell? Why, why you, you might say it's a little bit excessive, but why this? And there is definitely another story. Mm. So Christine Holgate actually engineered an important change and which we see as a shift and a certain direction change which could continue in an interesting way. Uh, in 2018, there was a shift that took place because with all the banks shutting down and closing branches and ATMs, Australia Post had taken over a very significant amount of banking activity and they were losing over $100 million a year as a result of this because they were providing banking services for 70 financial institutions uh, and they reported that over 1,550 community banks uh, sorry, 1,550 communities had no local bank branch. Uh, so, they so they were go to Australia the Post. Exactly. Those yeah. people were going to Australia Post. So Australia Post signed a deal in 2018 
with three of the four major banks and a number of other financial institutions where those banks would provide a certain amount of money per year to make up for that. Look, and the deal was incredible because, and the deal was struck by these four people who got the Cartier watches, right? What had happened was, um, as Australia Post was doing more and more of, the, of providing the banking services, on behalf of those banks, those banks weren't handing over a red cent more to pay for it. And so these executives said, well, you've got to pony up more money, and they got $25 million each from the three of the big four except ANZ. The fact ANZ refused to sign the deal, Elisa, proves how good these executives had done in making the other three sign the deal, right? Um, they were putting their hard word on them, you pay up, and then the, the 70 other smaller institutions collectively put up $25 million. So an extra $100 million a year in fees from the banks for providing this service for them, right? Mm -hmm. And then what Christine Holgate did, she made sure that was shared, that $100 million in revenue was shared with the branches. Now, the branches of Australia Post are mostly small businesses. They're independent franchises, right? They were all going broke on the previous model, uh, having to employ more and more people to, to provide customer service and not getting anything back. Now they've all been saved. They love her. She's the, you know, to them, she's the greatest chief executive ever. And, but to the banks, she's the woman who made them pay money, right? So, and you don't hear Scott Morrison going after the banks for their bonuses and so forth, do you? No, the banks were exploiting Australia Post. The banks were exploiting the taxpayers' own institution to provide their services so they could do their you know, rationalising, right? The government was exploiting Australia Post. She changed that. But she did something more. Since 2018, she has talked a fair amount about the possibility of Australia Post becoming a bank in its own right. Now, and I know this year in COVID circumstances, she's been in discussions about that. And that's something that for the private banks, it's one thing to make them pay extra money. Mm -hmm. They will not tolerate Australia Post becoming a bank and competing with them. Because they, they do not want any public bank at all. If Australia Post becomes a bank, now I was talking to a bank earlier today, if Australia Post becomes a bank, your deposits in that bank would be guaranteed. By the way, you wouldn't be allowed to be debanked. All the debanking victims could go to Australia Post, right? Your deposits would be guaranteed. They would get a flood of deposits out of the private banks into the Australia Post Bank. That's exactly what they would do, right? And the banks know that. Now, I know bankers who say we should have an Australia Post Bank because that's the only thing that will make these private banks compete because they don't compete with each other. They just try and do, it, outdo each other on who can exploit customers. This would force them to compete like the old Commonwealth Bank used to. That would be a good thing. Some, some old timers say that, but these private banks don't. And so when um, Scott Morrison carried on like he did, there's no doubt in my mind, given Scott Morrison's track record, look how he protected the banks from the Royal Commission and after the Royal Commission and throughout the Royal Commission, right? Yep. Um, he voted against the Royal Commission 26 times. Even in the middle of the Royal Commission, when we're hearing all these horror stories, he said, oh, we've got to make sure we keep the principle of caveat emptor, buy beware. In other words, if you get done over by a bank, it's your own fault, right? He has protected this nest of vipers his whole political career. And it's the only thing, Elisa, that makes sense yes. about why he would react so extremely as he did in that case. Now, I hope Christine Holgate survives. It would be a, 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 um, a grave injustice if she doesn't. But more importantly, this is something that our party is pushing for. And we're writing legislation to make sure this Australia Post Bank idea can happen mm -hmm. as part of a broader national development bank. And note that in August this year, there was a report calling for a post bank put out by the 
uh, CEPU, Communications Electrical and Plumbing Union, which represents postal workers as yeah. well in conjunction with the per capita think tank. And this is taking off around the world as we've seen with Kiwi Bank in NZ. But you can call in and find out more in our Australian Alert Service if you haven't already. Don't forget to call your Senator. We've run out of time again. Call your Senator and call them again and call them again. Thanks, Robert. And Thanks, join Lisa. us again next week. Thank you.